0: sleepcoolnow.com 1212
1: This is our number 2 for the world according to Zig podcast for this September 3rd 2017 My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. As is usually the case, in hour number two, we're going to be joined by a very special guest. Actually, this week we have two special guests. Hour number three, we're joined by NFL legend and good friend of mine, Franco Harris, to talk about the start of football season and a bunch of other issues. But hour number two is going to be devoted to the issue of the conservative media, and very specifically what happened this week at Glenn Beck's media organization where they announced over a 20% cut to the workforce. I wrote a column about this, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, which I urge you to check out about Donald Trump's impact on why the blaze was forced to cut over 20% of its workforce. Uh, But over the last year or so, as I've gotten to know uh, the people at The Blaze and Glenn Beck in particular, uh, I've also gotten to know uh, Jonathan Schreiber. He is the person who is the head of many of the media properties under the Glenn Beck media empire. And Jonathan very rarely does interviews, but he uh, wrote an essay this week, which you can find online. And because of the circumstances surrounding the layoffs, Uh, He agreed to come on this podcast and do a very uh, extensive, and I anticipate very compelling interview. Uh, So Jonathan joins us now. President of Mercury Radio Arts, Jonathan Schreiber, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Now, just before we get into the issues related to what happened this week and then conservative media in general, uh, just so people understand, what is your role uh, at the so-called Glenn Beck uh, Media empire?
2: it's uh i think uh people who call it a Glenn Beck media empire mean it is a pejorative though i know you don't um, i am the president of the parent company uh mercury radio arts uh has a you know the deal with premiere for glenn's radio show are we publish books with Simon and Schuster a number of other um, businesses and uh, areas involvement and we are also the majority owner of the blaze so i'm you know kind of like a, a portfolio manager uh, for all of those uh, business lines for Glenn
1: and this week uh, after it was announced by Glenn that you guys were cutting over twenty percent of your workforce in uh, layoffs I, I have been in touch with a lot of people there at the Blaze, including Glenn. Um, Some of which, uh, some of some of whom are very despondent; others are more upbeat. Uh, How would you describe how you guys are doing as human beings through this process?
2: Um, So, I'm a bad person to ask because I've been, you know, kind of dealing with it from a a different perspective uh, than a lot of the people who work for the company, Um, and so I've been processing not just this, you know, one of, event, but the the industry at large. And so uh, I just have a different take on it. And I'm also, um, I don't know, a little older and uh, I hope wiser um, that there's ebbs and flows to everything. Um, and then just kind of wrap it up with my cortisol levels are still high, right? <laughs> this just happened, you know, Thursday. Um, we haven't, done anything as a company as a team um to start moving past it so you're in kind of stages of grief you've lost some friends you don't know um how it's going to feel the next day um so i think you know in four weeks six weeks is a better time for us to assess how we're all feeling individually and then how we're all feeling together
1: well i know um Obviously, this must have been very difficult on Glenn. I read what he wrote, and and like I said, he he also emailed me confidentially. How do you think Glenn is handling this as as a person and a professional?
2: I think it's a a good question to divide the two. Um, as a professional, I think he's doing you know great. Um, there are always hard decisions. Sometimes the hard decisions are are for good. Sometimes they're for bad. Um, sometimes they're proactive. sometimes they're reactive. I think this one or a series of decisions was all of those. Um as a person, um, it's really tough on Glenn. Um, you got to know him over the last whatever it was, year, two years, um, a little bit. He's unbelievably human, and he has put everybody who works for him on his back in terms of his sense of responsibility. And so, He doesn't look at each individual as some person who works, you know, in some way for him. Um, He looks at them as people with families who have health insurance needs, who need to find a job, who he's known for this amount of time, who he's traveled with, who he personally really loves. All of those things as a person is really hard uh, for someone like Glenn, who is so, I know, a... a lot of people may not believe or agree, but is so decent and compassionate. So that part is is a a gut punch for him.
1: Now, I know you have written about uh, this. Glenn wrote about it. But how would you describe to people what the the primary reason was behind the cuts, which are the second uh, cuts of their of their type that your company has endured within the last, what is it, uh, 18 months or so. Uh, could, could you give us a, just the, the thumbnail sketch of why this was necessary? Yeah,
2: so uh, just one factoid is between the last series of cuts, which was a lot to do with moving out in New York, um, we've hired a bunch of people as well. Um, and so it's not just a steady decline of personnel downwards. Um, this one in particular, um, was tied in, in part to the macro of, of the essay that, you know, I wrote, you know, that, uh, you know, Glenn and I've talked about for a long time. Um, but a lot of it was about where the industry is going and what are the type of, uh, kind of skill sets required, um, to kind of adjust to that eventuality. And so a, a big part is we shoot everything as if we are, you know, NBC. Three camera jibs uh, through a complete, fully functional high-end studio um, and control room. And we're trying to get away from that and find the right balance to have a more unfiltered, uh, kind of intimate conversation with the audience. Um so I would say that would be the the meta, but there's you know dozens of, of micro elements to each one, and and to be very clear, each person um, was thought about relative to what we're trying to accomplish, not you know a machete saying hey just chop off this division.
1: Understood. Although obviously you know anytime you make over twenty percent. Uh, cutbacks with regard to your workforce. That's a, an, a highly significant event. And I'm sure, and, and almost always, there's going to be multiple reasons for it. Now, I, I wrote a column, which I know you're aware of, uh, for a column for Mediate, where I focused on just one of those myriad reasons, which was the Donald Trump issue. And, you know, my hypothesis is that while <clears throat> this was not the only reason why uh, the Blaze and, and Glenn Beck's radio properties. You know, have have not done as well as you had hoped in recent times. That the the decision not to get on the so-called Trump train uh, was a significant portion of this, because obviously, audience to a large degree equals uh, economic bottom line. And the the uh, conservative audience over the last year plus has been enamored with uh, Donald Trump, and those that have gotten on the Trump train have done pretty well uh, from an audience standpoint. The issues that I related in my column, uh, you know, have at it. Uh, what did I get right? What did I get wrong? Um, what, what was your assessment of of that portion of this?
2: So I can't say you got anything wrong um, because it's it's speculative, and I think it's a fair um, s- speculation. I don't know how much to put into that because if you look at conserv- digital conservative media um, over the last. Since, I think January. Um, pretty much, no matter your um, stance on Trump. So, if you look at traffic at some of the leading digital conservative, you know, organizations, uh, traffic's down. And uh, some of it, you know, from a Quantcast, some from Alexa, some from, um, you know, talking industry. But there's no one who is killing it um who is in any camp uh, Fox is getting their butt kicked by msnbc so i could have written the same column you wrote and just changed by not being in the opposition party anymore
3: mm-hmm.
2: um traffic and viewership is down across the board and that is speculative and i would say equally as plausible so i don't know the answer um I do know that there are lots of uh, fans within our ecosystem who are very proud of the stance Glenn took and is very proud of how he's handling himself going forward, which is, you know, the balls and strike mentality. And there are also people who are really pissed. Um, And that's human nature. And when you have an audience uh, uh, that's significant, um, you're going to, piss some of them off sometimes and you're going to make some of them happy sometimes so i don't know how much stock to put into it but uh into your column in particular but i think it's a fair uh perspective so i don't know
1: when when i interviewed glenn for this podcast about uh, two months ago uh, he uh spoke very openly about a lot of things but one of the things he spoke most openly about was the this um situation that he described during the campaign i don't know when exactly it was, but it was clear that he had been told, and I don't know whether it was by you, maybe you can confirm or deny this, but he was told in no uncertain terms that if, in fact, there was this decision to never get on the Trump train, that there would be economic consequences for that. And he said that they, that those consequences ended up being even worse than he was warned about. Uh, can you shed any more light on that? Uh, yeah, I—
2: I hate to disagree with my boss. Um, there's certainly um, truth to the the overall point, um, but I'm am a data guy, and so there's I look for correlation versus causation. Um, I I see some correlations. Uh, I don't see enough causation uh, on any of this to to draw conclusions. Again, I I think you can look at you know, comment sections in Facebook or on the Blaze or Glenn Beck, and make a compelling argument uh, that people are angry and therefore. But I just don't have enough data to to support that as being the one reason that there are challenges. And as as I think you're you're fairly well aware of in terms of uh, radio or even digital. Uh, direct response advertisers, uh, people who get paid on the success of a campaign, don't care if you have one user or a billion users to that extent. If their advertising is working, they're going to spend the money. So there isn't this one dominant force that can say you're out, right? Like we didn't get any threats from our cable distributors. If you're not on the Trump train, um, we're cutting your – hibble distribution Uh, Premier never said to glenn uh in any way uh start talking you know kinder about the president or next president or we're not gonna you know Mm -hmm. distribute your show so uh, a lot of correlation a lot of reason to suspect a cause and effect but uh, i'm not there in causation
1: well, let me let me uh, talk to you about this a, bit, a little bit with regard to the causation issues, and, I, and I'm wondering. And you sound like a guy who who looks at all the angles, so you probably have considered this. But and I know you referenced the ecosystem uh, you already have in this interview, and you you did in you know in the essay that we're going to get to in more detail shortly. The, this conservative media ecosystem hasn't not getting on the Trump train, isolated. The blaze, for instance, where most of these cutbacks took place, isolated the blaze from the rest of the conservative, quote-unquote, ecosystem, therefore cutting off links on drudge, which are incredibly lucrative, being picked up as uh, news stories on Fox News Channel. Uh, aren't, Aren't all these things difficult to define yet still have a major impact on how, for instance, the Blaze does as a business.
2: Yes, with the caveat that we stopped being picked up on Drudge well before Trump. Um, I don't know whatever happened there, um, but at some point the Blaze was uh, getting a lot of traffic from Drudge. But before I got to the company almost three years ago, uh, Drudge was not picking up Blaze stories very often, um, if at all, I'm I'm sure it happened, but not often at all. Blaze contributors or um, talent still is on Fox quite a bit. Um, but, yes, I accept the, the premise that the limited ecosystem that exists when you are not playing um, to the same beat does have impacts on your business. If that's 1% or 99%, that I have no idea. Okay.
1: Now, obviously, when you look back, You know this is not something you wanted to have happened, and I'm sure that you, you, in the years that you've been there, that you, there's got to be something that you look back on and boy, I wish we would have done this differently, or we wouldn't have done this. At the top of that list of those things, uh, what would you say is the is the one thing that you wish you had done differently or not done at all that might have mitigated or avoided uh, what you guys had to go through this week?
2: So. I'm going to ask for a, a wide berth in both uh, the ability to answer the question, but uh, even to people who are listening to uh, take the entirety of the answer because it, it can come off very wrong. Um, there are lots of things um, that you regret once you have new information. Sure. Um, and so I have a line that I use that says all decisions are final till the end of the day.
1: But the, Well, that's the better one- than Trump, Jonathan.
2: Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, the The one i think foundational challenge that the blaze has, and I can't think of another comp that has been successful, is the blaze is synonymous with the with Glenn, and Glenn is synonymous with the blaze that institutionally has been unsolvable, and so when Glenn does something. As a person, in this case, let's say, endorsing uh, Senator Cruz, mm-hmm. that was not a blaze decision, right. but the blaze paid whatever price it pays. Sure. When the blaze has a personality on that Glenn is not in sync with, that has repercussions for Glenn. You add to that that it's a media landscape. Glenn has been a polarizing you know, figure of... For a variety of reasons some maybe deserve some less so that anything bad will be ascribed to glenn and anything good will be ignored so i think that foundational issue that glenn and the blaze are synonyms is something that we have not been able to solve for
1: and but okay, I, I get so that's the issue. But is there an mm-hmm. act? Is there an act that you either wish you hadn't done, or that you that you wish you had done that you didn't?
2: So I, I think when I got here, what I've been trying to do is is find daylight between the two, and I can give you a, probably a long group, laundry list of things that I've done that were good at the time um, and maybe turned out bad, or were the right idea that we didn't execute correctly. Um, and then certainly in hindsight, understanding that we can never really separate them. Maybe I would have rethought trying to even embark on separating them. I, I'm not trying to be uh, obtuse or, <laughs> or not answer the question, but in running these businesses, there's a hundred small decisions that make up every you know big one. And I can't think of a moment in time that was kind of not related to something in this kind of macro environment um, that I regret uh, in that, hey, that was just fundamentally the wrong way to think of things other than potentially at the macro and then how it, it impacts all the decisions we make on a daily basis.
1: Now, now, Jonathan, as these uh, layoffs at the Blaze and 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 within the radio properties were were announced, you wrote an essay uh, of basically thoughts that you and Glenn have have had together over the last several years on the issue of the conservative media and where we are, where we're going, uh, what its real purpose is. People can find it easily by googling. Uh, Jonathan Schreiber, uh, Mercury Radio Arts or, or Glenn Beck or whatever. I'm sure they can easily find it on Google. I know that I did. And I want to ask you a few questions about it because I think you raised some really interesting and important points. W- one of the lines in the essay that sh- that struck me, because I think this is r- at the absolute root of the entire matter on many levels. You wrote, a media outlet that is actually trusted knows the difference between fact and opinion and has no agenda other than speaking the truth. Now, in an ideal world, Jonathan, I agree with you. But I don't think that's the world we're living in anymore. I mean, because... Oh, not I mean, even I mean, close. Okay, not even close. So, so because when I look at that, and, you know, Fox News <laughs> refers to itself as the most trusted name in news, yet I, I would argue that, especially within the Trump era, that that basically they're the... The reality that, that shows that that statement is false, uh, because they, they don't know the difference between fact and opinion, and they absolutely have an agenda other than speaking the truth, and yet they're exceedingly trusted by the conservative base. So, what do you? I mean, so what what did you mean by that then? So, so I'm still a, a, and I don't watch any
2: real cable news. I'm a, I'm unplugged. So I really don't get my news from you know any place um, in terms of Fox and MSNBC. Uh, I don't think Fox is worse than the others in that regard., uh, but when I did watch Fox, uh, I would watch Brett Baier and Chris Wallace, and I think they are very clearly news guys who I think I can tell their predilections, but I felt like I was getting information with a filter, but the filter was a human filter, not a I'm going to try to manipulate the situation uh, to be an activist versus primetime lineups for all the networks, uh, which is opinion. Some, and, and I know you're feeling on Sean Hannity, uh, you made that very <laughs> clear, uh, but he doesn't pretend to be anything other than an opinion you know, activist, and maybe not the right word, there is no um, confusion. On the flip side, and, you know, Glenn has a, a good personal relationship with Anderson Cooper, and I've met him. He's a very nice guy, obviously, very smart. Uh, I think he uh, hides the wrong word, but tries to present himself more. Um, uh, as an honest broker than as someone with an opinion. I put Don Lemon in that same category. I don't mean to say they're dishonest, but Sean has a bias, and he's very, very clear. Okay, but, and his co- but coverage how long, will
1: affect that. Okay, yeah, but see, I think we might be talking about two different things. I'm obviously an opinion guy. Everybody knows mm-hmm. I'm an, uh, that that gives a damn about me. The, the, all, Some of them are all, good, even all. Thir- yes, thanks. All, all thirteen people that care about the, what I do uh, know that I'm an opinion guy, and same with you know Sean Hannity. That doesn't mean though that I'm off the hook in disregarding what's true and what's false, and so you can have uh, opinion journalism where there are still things as facts. And there are, and there still is the pursuit of truth as opposed to what I think the vast majority of the conservative media has become in the era of Trump, which is just telling people what they want to hear to feel better about their hero. Do you, do you not see that difference? Yeah. No, no, no. no. I,
2: I see the difference. And yes, 100 percent. Again, I, I don't give the the mainstream media uh, m- much of a pass on that either. Um, but no, the, on that point, if uh, if I misunderstood your question... No one hundred percent there is not a desire uh, to start with facts. It's starting with a narrative and then either selecting facts that support the narrative, disregarding facts that don't support the narrative, and in the most egregious cases, which happens, um, not even caring what the facts are so no we're one hundred percent aligned on that and I think that's a foundational problem with the media and something that we're trying to look inward to deal with it ourselves.
1: And that's where I want to go to next, because I think this is a fundamental problem for you guys at the blaze. Again, it's exacerbated in the era of Trump because you guys don't have – a, a major weapon at your disposal, especially during slow news periods, which is to manipulate the audience into a lather by lying to them so
2: I mean, and, and, and i and I think that is the in some ways the point of my essay um again it, it was not an activist essay uh, but if we find ourselves in the position that the only way we can be successful financially is to manipulate the audience we will shut down the blaze
1: well that might be soon <laughs> because yeah uh, and
2: again and 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 again uh, that's that's i think the point of the uh, i don't mean this to be trite uh, the word but the exercise we're going through is can we be you know non red meat that doesn't mean not passionate can we uh, you know not focus on clickbait Um, not focus on um, everything being emotional and visceral, uh, but provide people actual information that is not only factually true, but actually matters to them, right? Like the team sports that we're living in, and we all are guilty of it in our own way. Does it really, really matter 98% of what we consume in terms of what we as individual human beings in society can do about it versus the the kind of old school news of uh, helping consumers, you know, consumer report type mentality, um, fighting for the little guy. What do you do if in uh, Ohio, if you're in a county that only has one um insurance on the Obamacare exchange, I'm not saying that's our job as the blaze, but that mindset of there's information, there's true and false information, and then there's information that honestly does not impact you in any way, shape, or form other than it either makes you uh, happy through a dopamine response or miserable through some depression, and the media is only focused seemingly on those types of topics. And we're trying to say to our audience and to the media in general, let's help the audience, let's help the the American people, and not just navel gaze, right? Read, I mean, you work or write for a site, which I actually enjoy quite a bit, that is in essence built on the navel gazing of the media industry. Mm -hmm. But yet consumers consume that. That's a weird place for us to all live. Uh, consumers shouldn't care if Glenn and Bob, whoever Bob is, like each other. Right? That's gossip. That's that's uh, Us Weekly or Star. What is the responsibility of a media organization to provide actually compelling information to its audience that matters? And, and that's the type of thing we're trying to figure out.
1: See, John, I think that's a steep challenge uh, for oh,
2: you. I, I agree. I would I I whatever you think it is, multiply it by ten. That's what I think.
1: Oh, great! So you you yeah. might be the only guy more pessimistic than me about the oh, about I'm, about the state I'm of doing. things. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, because I believe, and I think you're going to agree with me, I believe that in this era, for a lot of reasons, partially because of the broken business model, which we'll get to shortly, and partially because of the fragmentation, which helped cause the broken business model. I believe that we're in a situation where truth and profit in a in a modern media outlet are completely incompatible with one another uh, unless, you know, just the news is at a ridiculously compelling rate on its own, which can't happen on a daily basis. So um, do, am I right that it is incompatible in this day and age, in the modern era, to be all about just telling the truth and the facts and actually making a profit?
2: So, no, I, I don't think that's that's true. I think it's hard, and I certainly think it's really hard in conservative media. But if you look at sites like uh, The Skim, uh, which I think does a tremendous job, uh, they – raised a lot of capital it took them a while and and they have a great story and i'd actually love to meet uh, the two women who founded it one day and share war stories uh, but they're distilling all this information into bite-sized uh digests or nuggets so that their very particular user i think they aim for a 28 year old you know kind of woman who works hard uh their email goes out at six o'clock in the morning Um, Every time, the same time. And it's news, facts, and maybe over the course of time there's going to be opinions, but it starts someone's day with the five minutes of information they need, and they don't have to spend or feel stupid for not spending the three hours to figure out what the hell did North Korea do today. So, I do think it's a very challenging environment for all media, but in challenge- i'm a startup guy in challenging environments that means there's opportunities to disrupt um and that's you know Glenn's line and I use it as well uh you're either disrupting um or you're being disrupted there is no middle ground
1: well let me let me flesh out my theory, since we disagree a little bit, on, on why I believe that the truth and profit are basically incompatible, especially in the conservative media. And, and that's this. You know, there, there used to be, uh, uh, you know, not that long ago, as you well know, a, a set of circumstances where having a media outlet, whether it was a radio station, a newspaper, a TV station, those were licenses to print money. It, no matter what you did, you were going to make a profit. And, you know, it doesn't matter how large that profit was going to be. And therefore, there was at least somewhat of a firewall between news and profitability or, or, you know, concerns about audience. And so therefore, news organizations could basically just do whatever they wanted. Now, a lot lot of times that was way left, but at least it was mostly substance-based. And then over time, as that model changed and people realized, oh, my gosh, the audience doesn't care about substance. They don't really care about news. Most people don't even care about politics. We, we got shifted more and more to entertainment, and now we end up with an entertainer as president. And we, we end up in a situation where, if a narrative, if the true narrative doesn't sell, you, you got to make up a good one because if you don't, you're a competitor, and you've now got. A hundred competitors on the internet for the same space you're going for, your competitor will make it up and make people feel better about themselves, as opposed to what the truth is, which is often mundane, boring, and depressing. So, so how, I'm 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 conser- I'm confused as to why you don't seem to see that.
2: So, first of all, I, I love your passion, um, but um, I, I do see that. I think you were um, you're conflating. Uh, two different things, and I agree with both the conflation of them, um, but i 'd like to segment them out When you talk about news you know in the past, if you will you 're almost talking about the news when it was a real estate business. When I say real estate, be it affiliates or um, destination on your cable box or the local newspaper um, that was working with local advertisers, classifieds, right job listings you know, all the things that um, are, uh, I don't know, built up over time and have some level, I don't want to call it exclusivity, but um, stability that uh, stops people from just infringing on where you, you know, kind of live and eat. Uh, the world we live in now, uh, which is part of our my overall thinking on, on conservative media, which I think has a, a bigger challenge because of it's nuances, um, and some are more than nuances, is I agree with you. All of that stuff is gone. Um, you can go to Facebook and never go to a news site and get your quote-unquote news. You don't have to go to ABC, CBS, NBC, and watch the newscast. You don't have to do any of that. All of the local advertisement, though still on radio and on you know syndicated local channels or just local channels, Does not work online. So, I if that is, let's say, the debate we're having on it, I agree that history is in fact history. Um, I don't think the answer has to be um, that media, and when we say media, we're talking news. That news has to be so uh, sensationalized that it's you know Us Weekly or National Enquirer but that does not mean there are not fundamental problems in the news industry that I don't think anyone knows how to solve.
1: Well, let's talk about why those problems exist. I I often refer to the broken business model. This is an area where you are a much better expert than I am. I'm looking at it more from the outside and and kind of more philosophically, but you live it on a daily basis. Tell our listeners, First of all, do you agree that the business model is effectively broken, especially in the conservative media? And if so, how and why did that happen?
2: So it's a big question. Um, And I think you have to look at each part of the business models, right? So if you look at, and so yes, I I think the business model is broken. You and I agree on that. Um, How to define which parts are broken are different, right? So if you look at Uh, ESPN. Um, As an example, they've been making money hand over fist in their uh, affiliate fees from cable providers. Over the course of time, that number is going to be pushed down um, with people unplugging and they're going to have to figure out how to go direct to the consumer uh, and make up all of that revenue. That math doesn't work. Nobody has ever shown me math that says that ESPN, I think at times, made uh, nine dollars and thirteen cents per subscriber, not watcher, but subscriber. Um, there's no way that all those people who are not even watching are going to pay nine dollars and thirteen cents for an ESPN Apple TV app. So, from a cable distribution, that's changing dramatically. From an over the top, which you know, Glenn and the Blaze was a pioneer um, when it started. I think I don't know the exact um, you know frames, but it was like Hulu and Netflix and the Blaze, uh, maybe WWE or WWE soon thereafter. Well, besides the fact that Glenn was coming off of Fox was at his nadir in terms of uh, you know who he was. Not I don't mean as a person, but what pe- you know people knowing what he was doing. He had this giant megaphone um, paid for by Fox that was very. Uh, intimate uh, in a fan club and and what was then GBTV. Uh, But if you think about the, the consumer, how many subscriptions did they have on their credit card at that time every month, right? Hulu, Netflix, the blaze. Now a consumer might have seven, eight, you know, Spotify, Pandora, HBO now, Hulu, Netflix, blaze, ERTV, which, you know, we're a fan of. Um, So I think OTT has its own unique set of challenges. Um, Digital media or or text or, you know, video ads uh, has its own because you have your Facebook frenemy relationship. You have your YouTube frenemy relationship. um, You have the need to get a certain amount of page views or video views and serve the amount of ads that will pay for that. And the math is really, really hard. If you want to create high-quality video content, um, you need one to two million people on a three- to five-minute clip to break even. <laughs> wow. That, that, right? that, that's, that, that's, that's
1: the math. That, that's so, daunting.
2: Yeah. So th- there are, are real challenges um, on all aspects of the business, and I think what we're trying to do, you know, at, at Mercury Radio Arts, both on you know Glenn's other businesses at The Blaze, is to acknowledge all of those things and to figure them out. And I think um, conservative media is uniquely challenged, or more challenged than any other, you know, left center, um, for a number of the reasons I've. I pointed out in my essay and others that, you know, there wasn't, you know, space. Uh, But it it is a it's a tough environment. And uh, my background is a startup guy. I'm not a a conservative media guy. I'm not a media guy, per se. Uh, It's I look at it as the business of and try to think about it that way and less about the um, politics involved, though, yes, I am a. You know constitutional, libertarian, and so I share those politics and the ideals, uh, but I really am thinking about it from a a business and disruption standpoint.
1: Jonathan, I know, as you've already said in this interview that you're hesitant to determine causation without an enormous amount of data. But when I hear you talk about how the business model has broken within conservative media, to me, it's much more than coincidence. That at the very same time that this business model was breaking, we have the vast majority of the conservative media industrial complex, except for you guys, jumping on the Donald Trump train during the Republican nominating process and ending up with one of their greatest audience years ever. Am I right that that wasn't just a coincidence?
2: Um, I don't know. Um, We're coming off of eight years of Obama. Right. So there was a lot of interest in conservatives in this election cycle, right? The cavalry was coming. They were going to uh, repeal Obamacare and, and, you know, bring our version of utopia that, you know, Obama promised uh, to the left. So, again, I, I see it. I'm not immune to the, the logic. But if that was the case, why isn't everybody's traffic um, and viewership staying at that level?
1: Well, let me tell you why. Uh, you want to know Why? Because, because he's a failure. Because it's not happening. Because, cause, and, and by the way, as you well know, inherently the, the number one vulnerability of the conservative media has always been we're terrible at defending. We're, so now we, so-called conservatives are in charge of everything. So now we have to defend everything if you want to stay in the club. And we're terrible at that. We're much better on the outside attacking. So the ratings have always been better when attacking, which is why Obama was tremendous for Fox News and probably saved talk radio for the for the for at least those eight years. But now that Trump's actually in, and the excitement level is down because people are starting to realize that he's not going to change the world, and if they have half a brain, they realize he's going to be a failure. The excitement of the story is gone. You don't you don't agree with that?
2: So no. So I I accept it, and I throw in the. The uh, House and the Senate is being failures as well. Um, but if if I can ask, can we go above that? So let's assume I agree with you lock, stock, and barrel. Was the conservative media complex successful over the last eight years during Obama outside of Fox?
1: Well, see, this is where – I don't know if you're, you're going to agree with this or not. I think the definition of successful – is important here because I think you have to not judge it based upon what they've done in the past. You have to remember the business model is breaking, so the fact that they were able to survive what might have been a a death spiral otherwise without Obama is, by definition, at least somewhat successful. I mean, if Mitt, if Mitt Romney, if Mitt Romney. Had one in 2012, talk radio would be dead today. <laughs> it would be over. It would be completely so, over. So if that's the definition
2: of success, then you know, keeping your lights on, right? The Blaze has been a success from the day it's launched and could be a success by that definition for 30 years. Um, but if, again, as a startup guy, I look at, um, and I think I kind of led my uh, essay with this. Mm-hmm. I've never seen an industry where the market leader is doing 1.8 billion dollars in profit, and the number two, arguably,
1: is an us or a Newsmax.
2: And right? Are you
1: are you referring to Drudge? Or are you referring to
2: no? Because mm-hmm. even keep put Drudge in there. Drudge does an amazing amount of page views. Um, and I don't know the speculation on his top-line revenue, but his top-line revenue is a rounding error to Fox's profit, cash profit. So when I look at a, at the business of the business and I look at a market leader throwing off enormous amounts of cash and the next number two can only trumpet their – page views or their traffic, there's a disconnect, right? And again, maybe I don't think we're arguing. I'm just, in terms of defining success, how can an industry have a number one and not a number two?
1: You you, you want to know the answer to that? I'll tell you what the answer is. No, I'm trying to figure it out. Okay, I'll tell you the answer. And and, and I'm going to give this to you for free. (laughs) And a lot of people. Okay, all right. so, So here's the answer to that this the conservative media business is unique in that when you say something on the number 1 platform it has exponentially greater value or power and therefore everyone wants to be on that platform it's not a hurts uh, you know versus avis situation because no one cares when you get a rental car how many other people are getting the same rental car sure.
2: so that we're I- I agree with your uh, logic, but I don't think that's unique, right? I, I grew up in, you know, a business side, right, you know, kind of during the first dot .com and then thereafter. And you always had the digs, which was a website, dig.com of the world, uh, that people would create content and try to get on the homepage and it created a cottage industry of, you know, kind of what are now called growth hackers who would try to get you, Uh, your content on the homepage so that you would get more traffic. It was always an arms race. And I think what you saw in, you know, Google winning and Yahoo losing, you know, ultimately was Google said, come to us and we'll help you find what you're looking for. And Yahoo AOL said, come to us and we'll have everything you want. So I don't think this challenge has never uh, reared its head. And I don't think conservative media in that sense is unique in, you know, kind of a history of business. Um, I think you're identifying a challenge in conservative media when you have a number one that is so large and no number twos. But again, if you go to uh, kind of business 101, why isn't there uh, private equity saying, hey, let's take on Fox News? um there was that in there's that in google right there's alternative search engines there's alternative map companies why would Jonathan? i think
1: i think a competitor to fox news uh five ten years ago would have been fantastic but now the business model of cable television is so broken that no one is going to have the audacity to put the amount of money it would take to go after them
2: so so but even if you uh, have a bigger definition of competition right, not competing necessarily on their their territory. Um, But why aren't there more conservative media companies working together or trying to build scale to be the number two, right, not the number four, seven, or ten, but to be that strong and influential and financially significant, right? If you think about – you know, arguably the number twos in conservative media, they all have benefactors, right? They all have big money uh, individual behind them, but they're not deploying huge amounts of capital. They're not putting in $100 million. So, again, I'm not arguing if that's right, wrong, good, bad, but it's really hard to see how you can grow a company to scale on cash flow.
1: See... Maybe we're talking about slightly different things, but just to just to put a finer point on, on my argument here about Fox. The, the reality is that when you say something on Fox it and, and you're the viewer, it automatically has way more power than if you see it on any other outlet because it's on Fox and because you inherently know many millions of people are watching it. And that your friends are gonna see it, you know, within your community of conservative people. And and therefore it has way more value. That's why you're gonna have the number one be exponentially bigger and more powerful than the number two unless something happens to the to the number one that diminishes that perception. Now, if the sexual harassment scandal and jumping on the Trump train doesn't do it, I don't know what possibly could.
2: Well, <laughs> well, so, so let's change the uh, same topic but different example. Um, I'm not a, you know, a huge fan of uh, the Young Turks, um, but they raised $20 million just recently. Um, and, of course, they'll share the wealth. But they <laughs> you know, raised $20 million uh, because uh, they built enough video views, a billion-plus, where someone, um, enough people, said, hey, if you continue getting these amounts of video views and these advertisers, you're going to make X amount of money, and therefore we believe that in three, five, seven years, you'll be worth more than you are today, and therefore we're putting money into your company even though Rachel Maddow has the highest ratings in cable news? Why doesn't that happen on, in conservative media?
1: Well, my, right. fir- my first reaction would be, Jonathan, that conservatives have a different mentality than liberals. Uh, liberals I – don't, I don't know who gave the money to the Young Turks, but they might be thinking about this largely as a cause – as a, as almost a charity situation, they like what the Young Turks are doing. They want to promote that. The people who are conservative who have made a lot of money. They don't have that same mentality. They look at it as, "Am I going to make a profit or not?" And if it's so,
2: go ahead, so I agree. I, I agree with that. Um, I agree, and I've talked to many you know wealthy you know conservatives. And uh, there's a joke of. Um, this isn't my line, but someone said, you know, it, it's easier to get a million dollars from a you know billion dollar conservative for a you know white paper coming out of D.C. that that nobody will ever read um, than it is to get a million dollars for you know a, a website or a, a media company that may have a return on investment. Um, so I, I agree, and I I think that's what I'm pointing out in my essay, not necessarily diagnosing all you know the whys but the challenges when you don't have private equity advertisers who are willing to put millions of dollars at play, um, individuals with high net worth putting in real capital, then the ability for an industry to challenge incumbents or to grow to be significant is significantly limited. Uh, and again, that's not ascribing the the motives or dissecting the rationale, but that to me is just a fact-based situation that is challenging. All
1: right, Jonathan, you've been very generous with your time. I want to ask you a couple more questions about your essay and change the subject slightly. I've already referenced this term that you use, this conservative ecosystem, and, and you write about how, by and large, none really exists in the conservative media. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Uh, I I think maybe I just look at it differently. My view of the conservative ecosystem is that it's not about helping each other. It's about trying to destroy each other because unlike the left, which has this embarrassment of media riches, there's a scarcity of resources on the right and everybody wants to kill each other. Otherwise, they're afraid that they're going to be left out, left, left standing, if you think about this, you know, in this game of of uh, you know, Game the, of Thrones, the, right? Yeah, Game of Thrones or whatever. Everyone everyone's afraid of not having a seat at the table, and uh, and there's, there's enormous amount of of cutthroat competition, uh, and that's why there's no conservative ecosystem, or if there is an ecosystem, that it's actually a deadly one. Where do you, where, what do you make of that? So, so
2: so I agree, and so that's what I mean by there is no conservative ecosystem, right? So yes, there are conservative companies, websites, properties, and they either work together in some capacity or they don't. But when I again as a startup guy, when I think of an ecosystem, I look at uh, in, in an extreme case, you know, Google or WordPress. Right, a hundred thousand plus companies use WordPress because which helps you build websites. Uh, because of that, there are lots of developers who build plugins to WordPress, and because of that. Those developers want WordPress to be successful, and because of that, WordPress wants those developers to be successful. The Apple um, ecosystem. Apple sells an iPhone. Developers get paid by building great applications. So there's, you end up with lots of frenemies, um, but you also end up with a group of companies that uh, fundamentally a rising tide lifts all boats. That does not exist in conservative media. When CRTV launched, and Glenn reaches out to uh, Mark Levin and says, "Hey, I'd like you to come on radio to promote CRTV," that's two, you know, friends. I don't mean like best friends, but two friends, you know, helping each other. Um, but that's not an ecosystem. And then, yes, I agree with you. It seems like everyone wants to be the king and, and cut off everyone else's head and and find subservience. Again, that's part of my premise, that conservative media will always be like that until conservative media, quote-unquote, decides not to be like that.
1: Well, what would change? How would that change, though? I, don't, I think it would only, it's only going to get worse. I mean, let me give you a concrete example. I mean, we're living in, in an era you know, where Twitter within uh, the media is, is such a big deal. Well, what determines what tweet or what article gets retweeted or not? Mostly it's what relationship one media personality has with another and whether or not they consider them a friend or a threat. I mean, it has nothing to do with the content. It has to do with personal politics.
2: So yes. I- and, and so it, some of it is, take an example we've used internally. Um, take the AP um, as an example. Um, all conservative websites or lots of conservative websites subscribe to the AP newsfeed. The AP newsfeed, arguably it, not as bad as, you know, the, the far left, but has their bias in there based on um, where their bureaus are, you know, story selection, style guides, things like that. Um, why isn't there someone in, quote-unquote, conservative media or in private equity who says, hey, I want to take on the AP so that conservative media has their version, um, which is facts with their style guide? that all of conservative media is now pulling from. So I don't mean to change the topic from you know Twitter and personal relationships. That's absolutely right. But my argument, if you will, and I didn't provide answers to the questions, um, which I have some and I, I'm missing a lot of others, but it's that the fundamental acceptance of the rule of the game, that the pie is only so large and the only way for me to keep my pie or to make, uh, you know, get a bigger piece of the pie is to kill you rather than to figure out how to make the pie bigger. And, And that's what I see in conservative media. Every site company has a piece of pie and they don't want to give any of their pie to anyone else, even if they believe that by giving someone else a piece of pie, the pie will get bigger because Either they don't believe it, they don't trust the other companies, or they just fundamentally believe it's a zero-sum game. And if that is the premise, which I think is in large part the premise, then there can never be another Fox. And I don't mean in terms of distribution; I mean in terms of scale, because what you have is a bunch of um, you know local. Uh, gangs. I don't mean that as the pejorative. Right, I can't think of a better You know, Fighting over a block of territory rather than working together to make the city or the county better. And when you have that mindset, again, good, bad, the right reasons, wrong reasons, all I'm saying is fundamentally you can't get bigger. You can't get to a scale that matters. Um, and one thing I hear a lot in conservative media is Advertisers, big advertisers, won't work with us, um, and we accept that. And it's a true thing, and we do accept it, and I don't necessarily have an answer, and I'm not a boycott guy. But why isn't, and I use this in, in finger quotes, conservative media and conservatives saying, if you want our money as conservatives, come advertise where we are right, support the things that we care about. NASCAR is probably the closest example to that. Um, and I'm not a NASCAR guy, right? I'm a different demographic, but it's, a, I guess, a, a close parallel to something. We're willing to accept that all of these Fortune 500 and 1,000 don't advertise on anything that we uh, is built specifically for kind of us but yet we support them anyway. And the response from conservative media is, yeah, well, that sucks. Well, we're never going to get their business anyway, so that, you know, them the breaks. Mm -hmm. And again, I accept the the facts and I accept the logic, but accepting of those facts and logic means that the best we're going to do is kind of the Game of Thrones we're in today. And that I don't think is good for conservative media. I don't think it's good for the country. And I don't think it's good for, any movement, even if you remove the word conservative and you just put in Republican, um, which obviously has a broader definition, I don't think any of it is good. I think fundamentally all of that is bad for a desired outcome.
1: When you, just one point on this before I ask your last question, you know, when you talk about the pie, to me, I think the biggest culprit here is Matt Drudge. Because on the Internet side, Matt Drudge has by far the largest piece of the pie, and he has the greatest business model that has ever been created. He takes other people's work for, for, with very little overhead, and he gets enormous traffic. And then everybody comes to him because they know that's where they'll get their own traffic, and he creates this industry of stories that appeal to him. And when you have somebody – if you think about the conservative media as a pie and the guy with the largest piece of the pie has a ridiculously good business model, just from a, from a basic efficiency standpoint, everybody else, their business model can't be nearly as efficient. So to me, as long as Drudge is the king of the internet and the conservative world, I don't see anything's going to change. So,
2: so I agree, but I, again, I think we're talking about a difference in, in scale and scope. Right, So, again, I don't know how much money Drudge makes, um, and he does control in in that way this spigot to lots of websites. Um, But Facebook refers more traffic than Drudge in probably an afternoon than Drudge does in a month. Um, My numbers might be a little off. But we're talking about Drudge. And I'm talking about, you know, all web traffic. All. No, I, I get digital. it. I get it. You, but so, you were you were talking so,
1: about the conservative media ecosystem, and no, 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 the, the no,
2: pie. no, uh, uh, no, no. Agreed. So my point would be, though, is conservative media focusing on which we do, but Facebook and YouTube and other traffic refers. But if Drudge makes fifty million dollars a month, which I think is way, way more than when they make, um, way more. Um, That is still nothing in the grand scheme of things. I do agree it's an incredibly efficient business model, uh, much like Google search. But maybe maybe I'm just thinking bigger, both in the challenges and the opportunity. Um, But conservative media, and I think, no disrespect proven in this conversation, we limit ourselves to what exists.
1: I know. Um Well, we're realists. Than- Conservatives used to be realists. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> uh,
2: agree. But I'm 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 a, a wild-eyed entrepreneur, and um, I'm I I'm, consider myself a realist. Uh, but if there is no opportunity to be anything other than downstream from drudge, right? If that's the conclusion, then everything that people should be doing in in quote unquote conservative media is building the smallest, most efficient company they possibly can to hack drudge, if you will, as much as possible, and then just make cash flow and be done. And that is, to some extent, what conservative media is. Um, And that is part of what I'm uh, railing against. Again, not even judging good or bad, just as point of failure. That can only accomplish so much.
1: Well... If you want to think big, and I'm not suggesting that uh, you guys are, are wedded to this notion, but, you know, if, if you want to really think big and you want to change the whole world, uh, to me, uh, Trump, while he has been a huge negative in the short run, is an amazing opportunity. Because if I was thinking about this strategic, strategically and I was in a position to do something significant about it, I hang Donald Trump around Fox News and drudges neck from here to eternity and when he fails and he will fail and when he falls, it's their fault. And at that moment, you might have a sea change. At least you have a chance at a sea change. Uh, but but playing nice and going, oh, well, can't we all get along? I, I, I don't see how they ever get the blame once this thing goes to the crapper and they'll maintain their positions of authority in perpetuity.
2: So as it relates to- To Game of Thrones, I agree with you. Um, I don't know if that's the only uh, way to think about it. And again, I'm I'm not thinking kind of Game of Thrones. But if you're uh, mapping out how to take on the pie that currently exists, I think that strategy is as good as any I've heard. Um, That's not how I'm trying to process and think
1: about what comes next. All right, Maybe so, I should be. Well, but that's not how. <laughs> we could have that discussion off the air sometime. Yeah, but, but uh, so what does come next? What's your prediction for the future here, Jonathan?
2: For the future of what?
1: Conservative media. Since I don't want, I want to put you on the spot necessarily with regard to the blaze. Uh, but since, you, but uh, cons- where are we headed with all this? Where, where, what, do you, what do you where do you see the future going?
2: So I think we're going to see a lot more of the same.
1: Um, uh,
2: I do think we can see some consolidation. Um, I think we can see some people acknowledging that um, – I'm sure you've talked to people, um, I've talked to people – that in this election cycle, the, the you know, last one, um, the amount of outsized influence that one or two media properties had, um, regardless of if you were for or against, you know, with or without, um, scared people. Right. If you talk off the record to a number of uh, House, Senate, um, you know, uh, politicos, they don't like the fact that there's basically one, one and a half outlets that they have to kiss the ring because if not, they have no visibility. Right. And so I think there are enough people that would like to see it change. I don't know if there's enough people who know how to change it or who are willing to irk the system if it fails, right? Everyone would be willing to jump in if you had a billion dollars and a commitment that it would change. But that's not the way life works. And so people ultimately do what was done yesterday, which Uh, not is not necessarily a terrible strategy if the goal is survival um and if that's the goal i i get it i can tell you for us our goal is is not survival glenn beck um and his radio show and his influence with his audience could make a lot more money um than what we can do at the blaze in current state i don't mean related to you layoffs i mean in conservative media from a cash standpoint We can make a lot more money not doing the blaze. The reason to do the blaze is to see if we can be a part of making things, quote-unquote, better. And if we can, we'll then have made, eventually, a lot of money. Um, But if the goal is just cash flow, the blaze is the wrong strategy in the current environment.
1: Well, Jonathan, I wish you honestly the best of luck with this and I thank you very much for your not only your time, you gave us over an hour, but also being very open and honest about what is a very difficult set of circumstances. So we, we really appreciate it and uh, and we hope you'll keep in touch.
2: Always. John, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: All right, take care, Jonathan. It's right, uh, Jonathan Schreiber, the president of Mercury Radio Arts. The Glenn Beck radio company talking very extensively and openly about the situation there as this week they announced over a 20 percent cut to their workforce uh, because of uh, all the conditions that we spoke about. I urge you to listen to the interview that I did with Glenn Beck himself uh, back in July, which you can find at com. Best way to find it is probably just to Google my name and Glenn Beck and Mediaite. They did a couple different articles about it. And within those articles, you can listen to the entire Uh, interview with Glenn uh, via SoundCloud, or it's also on iTunes as well. Uh, So make sure you do that at freespeechbroadcasting.com or via a Google search. Uh, That's it for hour number two of the World According to Zig podcast. We've got a special hour number three with football legend Franco Harris you do not want to miss. So make sure you check that out. And as always, I ask only two things of you. Make sure you share this uh, podcast via social media or word of mouth. And uh, do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps, and if you sleep, you use sheets, make sure you pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com.
0: Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should. Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheeks. S H E E X Sheeks. Try Sheeks for thirty nights, risk-free. Go to SleepCoolNow.com. Use promo code twelve twelve and get forty dollars off any sheet set. That's SleepCoolNow.com. Promo code twelve twelve. SleepCoolNow.com. One two one two.